Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us. Today in the show, we're going to talk a little about cover crops. If you've got any questions for us about that or anything that's going on in your farm, you can give us a call here, 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. Or send us an email, radio at agphd.com. So a couple of things with cover crops. One of the most common questions that we get is, what can I use as a pre in the spring so I can seed a cover crop this summer or this fall? And here's my number one statement, and I say this, I think, just about every time I get that question. Look, keep in mind, if we're simply talking a cover crop, I'm not talking about grazing it. I'm talking about getting no income off that. Okay, that's what a cover crop is. If you're saying, well, I graze my cover crop, that's not a cover crop in our by our definition. That's another cash crop because now you're feeding something to your livestock. So if we're simply truly talking about a cover crop that is designed for nothing more than to cover and build your soil, then I just look at this. You're getting no income off that. Hopefully, you're getting really good income off your cash crop that you're going to raise now. So you don't want to sacrifice weed control in your cash crop just so you can raise a better cover crop later on. By the way, weeds can be a cover as well. I don't want that to be, but it could be. So anyway, what I'm saying here is I would always, if it's me, I would always focus on my cash crop and getting the most yield I possibly can out of that. And if you've got a real weed problem and you say, boy, this this product's the best, but the problem is it might ding up my cover crop later on, who cares? Use a different cover crop or do something else. you got to make as much cash as you can so then you can even afford to put the cover crop in because, quite frankly, cover crop is more about the long-term health of your soil rather than this big short-term game because obviously you're getting no income off it today. Okay, so that's the first question that I often get. Second question is, when should I terminate that cover crop? It's been a real popular question here the last few years, especially as some areas have suffered from drought, and then cover crop has actually hurt their next crop. Well, in the geography where we farm, we don't get a lot of rainfall, and we will usually tell people normally, here... Normally, we don't get a lot of that's rainfall. That's why I said we don't usually get a lot of rainfall. And I, I would just say... In our region, we are generally going to tell you, terminate the cover crop in the fall. That allows the most moisture to be held in that soil later on. So that's what I would do, is terminate in the fall. Now, if you've let it go through the winter, I'm not saying you can't raise a crop or anything like that, because you can. But if you've taken a lot of moisture out of that ground with the cover crop, growing in the fall and in the very early spring, well, that just leaves less moisture for your crop the rest of the season. Now, if you're in an area that gets lots of rainfall, that's that's a moot point. So you don't care. In fact, you might want more moisture sucked out of the soil. So it all depends on where where you farm and what your situation is. But I'm just saying that termination thing, that can really vary depending on who you're talking to, depending on who you talk to. So I'm, I'm And part of the reason why I'm bringing all this up is because you'll read in farm magazines. And if you're getting your information from a farm magazine, I'm not saying that's bad, but I'm just saying those are ideas and those are things that work for people in their situation. They don't have your situation. So just make sure you're getting some advice. If you've never done things with cover crops before, 
talk to some people who have in your area and find out what works from them rather than saying, well, I guess we're going all this one direction and then it all goes south. All right, let's get to the Egg PhD mailbag. I get a bunch of soil tests here, and we may have to finish this up right after the break, Alex. Uh, so this is from Justin. He's in central Michigan. And I wanted to start off with this. I just wanted to comment on his first uh, part of his email. He said, well, I'm trying to educate myself on making my soil better. I never went to college and got a degree. Hey, first of all, Justin, you're on the right track. Uh, I'm not saying don't go to college. College is fine. But you're going to learn a lot more with your own soils doing tests. And everybody, regardless of level of education, can learn how to read soil tests and figure out exactly what to apply out there. None of the stuff we're going to talk about here over the next two minutes with your soils, Darren or I learned in college. Anyway, go ahead. So here we go. So he attached a bunch of soil tests. He said we're pattern tiled on 40-foot centers. Uh, these are low CEC soils, but this is actually some of our heavier ground that we're working with here. Six so, to seven, six to eight CEC yeah, for the most part. He said continuous no-till, corn and soybean rotation, five-acre grids or less. I uh, said been focusing on P and K, adding fifty pounds of AMS in my dry spread pre-plant and five gallons of ammonium thio with my side dress. He said, but my soil test levels aren't showing that sulfur. They aren't going to show that sulfur. You got nope. light soils. You're going to lose it at the end of the year. And guess what? You're not putting on more than you're using. Hey, hey, you you use the words, you're going to lose it at the end of the year. You're going to lose it all through the year. And so we would just tell you sulfur, boron, nitrogen, you're going to need to split apply. Go okay. ahead. And the last thing he said, my thinking is... I'm continuing to maintain P and K, but I need to put some dollars towards micros. I want to put on some dry zinc sulfate to attack that phosphorus to zinc ratio. Just curious what you think would be the best bang for my buck going forward. Well, zinc sulfate, yeah, that's great to build soil levels. We use liquid fertilizer to feed the plant. So we are doing something at planting time, and then we are using dry fertilizer to raise soil test levels. So zinc and phosphorus, they're not going to disappear from your soil. But like we said, boron, sulfur, nitrogen, they will because they're leachable, or at least they will get into leachable forms. Potassium, to some degree, that can happen with that too. So even though you've been spending your money on P and K, I can see it for the most part on the phosphorus. There are a lot of pretty good phosphorus levels. Uh, 50 to even 100 on, on phosphorus. But you still have variability out in that field. So, I, I mean, here's one where on, on one of the pages, you have 29 parts per million. Well, let's see. Let's let's go with 27 parts per million on an Olson test. And then you get 120 P1 phosphorus. So that's available today. That's a big difference, 27 to 120. I'm just trying to say spend your dollars in the areas that where you need it with potassium i might consider doing some in season as well but you got to keep working on that potassium because your potassium levels are not that high you got four percent base saturation k but you don't have a lot of pounds per acre because you have light soil but anyway good job and just keep working on it stay tuned we'll be right back what does it really mean to provide the best crop nutrition with agro liquid it means getting a -a one-of-a-kind approach one that caters to your specific agronomic needs You're getting experts who will work with you to create a program unique to your operation, all while accounting for the quality of your soil and the products you're already using. It's not just a product. It's peace of mind, knowing we've thought of everything. That's the AgroLiquid way. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. It's planting season. Race against the clock season. 
mistakes can't happen season. And no one helps you face it all like John Deere. Putting technology in your hands that gets you in and out of the field faster. That makes your spacing and depth more accurate. And that gives you the confidence that this season will be your best season. See what you have to gain at johndeere.com slash gain ground. Your schedule can change by the minute, making it hard to stay on top of the latest agronomy information. But at Ag PhD, we have some good news for you. If you miss an episode of Ag PhD TV or radio, you can catch up at agphd.com. With years of valuable content and the latest episodes available to stream for free, you can continue building your agronomic knowledge on any schedule. While you're there, don't forget to check for upcoming Ag PhD events and workshops. Watch, listen, and learn at agphd.com. When you're up in your sprayer, remember to look ahead into the future. Because if you've made the smart decision to plant Enlist E3 soybeans, now's the time to protect them with Enlist herbicides. The superior tank mix flexibility easily allows multiple sites of action and keeps your weed control programs effective beyond just this season. Visit Enlist.com to see how a better weed control system can help fight resistance on your fields today and tomorrow. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here along with my brother Darren. We're live in the Morton studio today talking cover crops. If you've got a question for us or if there's anything you'd like to talk about that's going on in your farm, our number here is 844-44-AG-PHD. Before the break, we were talking about some soil tests, and there was one last thing that I should have mentioned. Kind of ran out of time there. Copper is a big deal. So for anybody, I, I just encourage you, get a copper test. And, uh, and what was the farmer's name, Darren, on the last question? I'm sorry. Justin. Justin. Yeah, so with Justin and the soil tests that he sent in, he did get copper tests. Most of them were very, very low. We're talking half a part per million and in some cases less. That's not good. You want to have good levels of copper out in your field. I'm, I usually like to see three parts per million on copper, maybe more. Part of the reason why is so you have better disease tolerance in your plant and then the other big thing that we've noticed on our farm and farmers we've been working with is the phosphorus to copper ratio is a thing, just like phosphorus to zinc. So a lot of times we, we look at 30 to 1 or thereabouts phosphorus to copper. And so like in this case, uh, Justin is 200 to 1, 100 to 1, stuff like that. I can almost guarantee you that lack of copper is hurting your yield at least a little bit. So anyway, something for everybody to look at, and Justin, for you in particular, try to get your copper levels up. And copper's cheap, I mean, relatively speaking. Put some copper sulfate out there, problem solved. Yeah, it'll be fun too, you know, as you get going on some of these things, because you're going to be doing some different things than other people in your neighborhood are. And uh, you look at uh, different copper sources, you may call a fertilizer supplier and they're like, copper, what do you need that for? Or oh, we just don't carry that here. You can find stuff. Uh, let's see, you're in central Michigan. Uh, and, and like Brandon mentioned, you can use liquids to, to feed the crop this year and get excellent crops. I know the folks at AgriLiquid are, are close by, and, and there's other suppliers, too, that would have good products you could use. All right, let's get into this cover crop discussion just a little bit. we got our friend Kelly Garrett down in Iowa on the show with us right now. Kelly, how are you doing? Good. How are you, Darren? Yeah, we're doing pretty well. Now, cover crops, how long have you guys been doing these, and what was your first impression when you thought, what, i got to grow something else out there besides my regular crop? You know, we had... 
toyed around with them, played around with them for quite a few years. I would say 2016 is when we first started to go heavier and heavier with them. And now the goal would be to have them on every acre if we could. Because of because of our northern latitude and how cold it gets, I know you know about that. It's hard to get them on every acre, but we do try. Uh, my first impression, my dad used to say, <laughs> he used to say, it's hard enough to raise one crop. I don't want to try to raise two. And now how that has changed and we want them on every acre is uh, is kind of an amazing thing for our operation. Okay, so I know you got some hills to deal with and certainly wind. Uh, is erosion like the biggest gain that you see that, man, this is just awesome and needed for erosion control? I, you know, erosion, erosion control, uh, weed suppression, moisture retention, nutrient availability, cow feed. I, w I think my dad would tell you the cattle feed is the number one priority for him. He, You know how he loves those cows. Everybody's uh, got to have passion. Things, that's right. Uh, I would say everything I just listed is a number one priority because all of it are equally important. All right. So when you think about it, you're trying to raise primarily corn and soybeans here and now cover crop you've got out there. Are you mixing it up where following a soybean crop, you might go a certain cover crop or following a corn crop, you might go a different one? Yes. Uh, and, it, you know, I used to just think as long as something was growing out there that that was all that was important. So, you know, we have a few acres of winter wheat, and we would just uh, drill some winter wheat in uh, behind everything because then something was growing at work nice. Well, now, you know, with Connor being around and, you know, coming with his agronomy degree from Iowa State, and he talks about the biodiversity and things like that, this year we've actually cut our winter wheat acres back a little bit, and we're raising 60 acres of oats and 60 acres of rye, and we want to harvest that, and that will be our main soybean stubble cover crop, oats, rye, and wheat mixed up. Uh, on corn, our plan is, we did some of this this last year, our plan is to fly radishes and turnips on in the corn, you know, August, September. Hopefully you catch a rain, get those germinated, and that'll be there after we harvest the corn. It's tricky to get those germinated sometimes, but uh, uh, we have had some good, good success and not such good success with that. Yeah, I've talked to, well, we've had guests on our show talking about aerial seeding and, and had one guest on that's been doing aerial seeding of cover crops now for, for quite a while. And he said they actually did a little study to see how much gets caught up in, because uh, my first objection was, man, 10 foot tall corn and you got all these leaves and, and everything to catch stuff. And he's like, you would be surprised. There just isn't that much that gets caught up by the corn between wind and everything else. It makes its way down to the ground. You just need to catch some moisture. That, yes, that's right. Catching some moisture at the right time. You know, there was a gentleman on Twitter the other day, and I found it very interesting. He had pictures. He had four pounds of turnips, and he turned the cows out after harvest, and the four pounds of turnips was enough cattle feed for five head per acre for 50 days. Those turnips are great feed, and they're great for soil compaction. It's a terrific cover crop. Yeah, that's interesting. You think about that, and I, I, I agree with your dad. If if you're going to utilize this for something more than just cover, Brian would say, ah, I don't consider it a cover crop anymore. You're getting another purpose out of it. I don't care. It's still covering the ground. It's still serving a lot of different purposes out there, and if you can graze it too, well, what the heck? That's awesome. Yes, you know, the, we typically don't graze them into the ground, but still, you know, the, the, the crops are conducting photosynthesis. They're improving soil health. They're improving nutrient availability. The cows are helping turn them over. I would almost argue that in some cases, I, I kind of believe that the cows actually make the situation better because they're, they're increasing the turnover of it. 
I love that. Yeah, if we could convert all that residue right through a cow into available fertilizer for the next crop, I, I think it's pretty fantastic. Uh, no doubt about it. And and like you mentioned, just to start off, kind of one of the big objections that Brian's had, one of the, or concerns, I should say, that he's had is just, man, I just don't know how much growing season we've got to, to really make an impact. What do you see? Do you have kind of a goal that you're shooting for? Is it 30 days? Is it 60 days of growth? What What would you really like to see out there? You know, you, like with our winter wheat, I would tell you that, and every year is different, but when we're planting our winter wheat crop that we're going to take to harvest, if it gets past October 5th, we just aren't going to get enough fall growth that's going to make it worth its while. And so we're always trying to do it earlier. And now, you know, now Matt Miles in Arkansas, my extreme egg partner, he has taught us about soybean desiccation. And we're harvesting between, well, we finished soybean harvest September 28th. So now our ability to get cover crops out when we're utilizing desiccation, um, it was a real game changer. We can get it on so many more acres effectively and get a lot of nice fall growth. Yeah, it's it's a pretty neat concept, and it's something a lot of folks will say, well, how do I get started in this? I'm assuming it starts out on a field or two on your farm, Kelly, and then you figure out how to do it, and then you blow it up, like you say, to, to put it on every acre. Absolutely. You know, that's what I say. My irrigation acres are about 5% of what we farm, and those are our research acres. Pick a field and research your cover crops and start for there. You know, and I, um, I'm i excited about cover crops, and they're a bigger and bigger part of our operation every year. But I, by all means, I don't have it all figured out. I have a little doubt. These oats, I don't know for sure why we're using these oats because they're going to winter kill, but maybe they're going to get, you know, Connor keeps talking about biodiversity and he talks about maybe they'll have better fall growth than I realize and provide more cattle feed. But uh, I don't have it all figured out, but we keep doing it. And that's what I would say. Try it on your farm. And uh, we, we have found that we really like them. They're a big deal for us. Outstanding. Kelly Garrett down in Iowa. Kelly, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. Thank you, Darren. Have a good day. You too. You know, Brian Kelly was talking about using some different cover crops in corn versus soybeans, using some broadleaf cover crops following corn, using some grass cover crops following soybeans. But I think about, man, we've got great herbicides out there for grass control and soybeans. We've got great herbicides for broadleaf control and corn. Do you see much impact? I, I, I really haven't seen a whole lot of impact. I mean, obviously there's exceptions, but it seems like the herbicide programs are pretty much worn out by the time we're putting cover crops in at the end of the year. Yep, most of the time that's the case. So earlier in the show I just said it's a common question we have as far as, oh, hey, is my herbicide going to hurt my cover crop? And I usually tell people don't even worry about it if it's just a cover crop. Now, if you're grazing it and you're trying to get some cash out of it, that's a little different, I might think again about what I'm using but to your point Darren most of the time those herbicides they've run out of gas five months later I would say too though we often encourage people get your pre out there as early as possible that really helps with this exact question so if you're spraying your pre in June it's whole different than if you're spraying it in March or April stay tuned we'll talk more about cover crops and take your calls and questions coming up right after this If you've ever wondered how the Farmall got its name, here's an abbreviated list of the jobs the Case IH Farmall can do. Baling, cutting hay, feeding, hauling, loading, pulling, raking, cleaning barn, mixing feed, fertilizing, mowing, chopping, seeding, clearing, irrigating, furrowing, cultivating, hitching, digging, emergency tow, harrowing, hoisting, leading parades, excavating, grading. <sighs> Let's make it simple. This tractor does it all. So no matter what you're doing, can do comes in red. Farmall. Learn more at caseih.com slash farmall. 
Every week for more than two decades, Ag PhD TV has provided agronomic information to make your farm more productive and profitable. In each episode, we discuss a wide range of topics covering everything from crop fertility, promoting soil health, improving the environment, pest control, and more, all designed to help you push your farm to higher yield goals and more profitability. Be sure to catch us on Tuesdays and Saturdays on RFD TV. Check your local listings or visit agphd.com to learn more. What do you think of when you hear Palmer amaranth or water hemp? If you use fierce herbicide in your soybean fields, you don't have to think about them at all. With two effective modes of action and up to eight weeks of residual control, Fierce takes on even the toughest weeds like water hemp and Palmer amaranth. Take control of your soybean fields and get incentives from Bayer Plus Rewards when you choose the power of Fierce herbicide. Talk to your local retailer today to put Fierce to work in your fields. Always read and follow label directions. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. Ag PhD has one mission, to give you the knowledge you need to make your farm more successful. That's why every issue of the Ag PhD Insider Magazine features crop fertility and pest management tips, insights into the world's highest yielding farmers, updates and results from our infield research trials, as well as the latest agronomy information from Brian and Darren Hefty. We put it all in one place so you can make your farm more productive and profitable. Subscribe to the Ag PhD Insider at agphdinsider.com. Protect your empire. Rule your fields with dual modes of action. Low-use rate Authority Supreme Herbicide from FMC combines Group 14 and Group 15 modes of action for pre-plant and pre-emergence control of key broadleaf weeds and grasses. A preventative application keeps your fields clean when it matters most to crop productivity. Visit your FMC retailer or ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Brian Hefty along with my brother Darren. We're talking cover crops today on the show, but we're also answering your calls and questions. Got Jim calling in right now from South Dakota. Jim, how are you doing today? Very good, Brian. How are you? Excellent. So here you got some questions about uh, wheat and corn. Yes, sir. I went to some of your seminars this year and I learned a lot. Like I said, I, I felt pretty humbled and dumb when I left them because there's a lot I don't know and I was kind of going through my wheat book. Hey, hold on, hold on, Jim. Hold on, Jim. Don't feel don't feel dumb when you leave one of those. I hope you feel empowered. Like, oh, there's some cool information. <laughs> I can bring that home. I can crush no. Brian and Darren. No problem. I got better soils than those no. guys. No, I don't. I have some really bad old gravel pit soil, and <laughs> and uh, but uh, I do have irrigation, so that's a blessing. I, I do have that. So yep. But I do feel humbled that there's a lot to learn. So. Um, Anyway, two questions I've got. I know that Brian's not the most patient guy, and I was wondering. I've got light soil. I've got, got that right, ground. Jim. I was, I was. Gonna, <laughs> he's probably scowling at me now. Don't do that. So, um, anyway, I wonder if you put your pre's on yet. And I've got light, real low CEC exchange on my sandy. How low? Eight inches of soil. 
how low? Oh, like 14. Oh, that, that's not bad. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. We yeah. would call that low for our area here, Jim, but there are a lot of people that would love to have that. Like the, the or the, let's see, we had a question just a little bit ago. We were going through his soil test. That guy had five to seven for cat exchange capacity. Now that's sandy ground. But anyway, so is your, your question is about putting pre's on in, in what you would call lighter ground? Yes. And, and should I do sure. it like the same time someone like you does? Sure. Yeah. Yeah, we ha- we we also have some that's similar to that 14, 15, 16, 17, whatever. So here here's the thing: when we're talking about the early spraying of prees, we're trying to do it just as the ground is thawing. So even if you have lighter ground, how's the and let's say you had rain, how's the herbicide gonna work its way through a frost layer that might still be down in the soil? It's not number one. Number two, we're typically not recommending leachables be sprayed super early. So we're usually talking about group 15 herbicides or yellow in corn, or let's say it's yellows or the PPOs in soybeans. Those attach themselves to soil very well. So I'm not worried about them leaching away anyway. So nope, you'll be fine. Oh, and uh, go ahead. Go ahead. I I did plant rye last fall on this ground. So sure. So um, I didn't tell you that. I'm sorry. No, that's fine. So, yeah, having any organic material that is still in the ground, that's great as well. So anything to hold that stuff up at least for a little bit, it's fine. I wouldn't worry about it. But this early spraying of prees makes a lot of sense in South Dakota because we don't have a lot of rain. Now, you are in a little different position. You don't necessarily have to do this because of rain, because you have irrigation. So I'm just saying, if you want to spray, I mean, just about any time, that's fine. Because worst case scenario, if there's no rain in the forecast, like for me, I I just, all I can do is pray. For you, you can turn the pivot on and you solve your problem and you get your herbicide activated and everything's good to go. Right. Usually, otherwise, sometimes I have to fix the irrigator. But yes, and then uh, <laughs> should I should I just wait until I kill? And then the second question, I guess, I mean, my third is the killing off of that rye. Um, yep. I guess I thought I might have some cows or calves, and I I bought a combine instead and some other prepaid a bunch, so I didn't do that. Um, and I don't know if I want to, but the the corn at seven dollars and stuff, and right, and uh, sure. should I wait and uh, another week or two and kill the and put the tree down with it? Yeah. Okay. So like right now we're getting really cold weather in our region of the country. And if you go try to kill rye when it's 45, 50 degrees, it's not going to work. You got to wait for that that daytime temperature to warm up at least into the 60s. Otherwise, it, it's, it's, it's just not going to go. You have to have active growth or you're wasting your money on, on the herbicide. How tall would you spray that to get a good kill on that? Right, Brian. As soon as I can, as soon as it's actively growing, you go spray it and kill it. Okay. So that might be a week or two and do it. Okay. All right. 60 degrees plus. Okay. Yes. Around up. Yeah. yeah. Yep. And granted, if it's 70 degrees plus, that's great. But let's put it this way. If it froze a little bit the night before or two nights before, and then you're out there because you go, wow, the daytime high hit 70, it's still not going to work very well. You got to have those daytime temps, or sorry, the nighttime temps above freezing, preferably even above 50. 
for best results. Um, so you can overcome that a little bit by increasing the rate of the herbicide. So let's say you're using Roundup, you'd have to bump the rate. Well, this year it kind of stinks to have to bump the rate because even a normal rate might cost you 10 bucks an acre. And you go, man, I got to bump my rate and I got to spend another three, four or five bucks. Yep, that's the way it is. Otherwise, let the weather warm up a little more. A quart or so an acre, probably? Uh, at least. At least. Uh, I mean, honestly, if the weather's cool at all, you got to be at least a quart and a half or you're not going to be happy. And then we Well, if you want to throw 2,4-D in for other weeds, you can. Yep, that's fine. But, I mean, if you're throwing, but, yeah, as far as killing the rye off, the only thing that's going to do it is that Roundup. So that that's all we care about anyway, if it's just simply rye. But I get those yellow, oh, I call them mustard thistles. I don't think that's the official term, but they get big, they start. Uh, um, yeah, it, it, as long as it's a non-resistant weed, then the Roundup should take that out, too. So if it's some kind of mustard species, Roundup, I don't know any of the mustard species that are resistant to Roundup. So you might be able to get by with just straight Roundup. If you hadn't heard this year too, 2,4-D is triple the price of last year. So any money you can save, or you know, if it's not necessary, then I'd leave the 2,4-D out. And if there are any weeds out there that you're worried about that you go, oh man, this is a resistant weed. Well, then yeah, you got to do something else other than the Roundup. And wait to plant corn about, what, 10 days to two weeks if I use 2,4-D? Uh, yeah, I'd like, yeah, I, that that's, okay. So let's put it this way. What I would use instead, if you said, all right, I want to use 2,4-D, and you know, I want to plant corn, I'd say forget the 2,4-D, use dicamba instead. So use some Banvel. This year, Banvel's about the same price per acre as 2,4-D. Normally, 2,4-D is cheaper. Banvel's better anyway, number one. And number two, you could go plant corn the next day if you want to. Oh, okay. Okay. I got a bunch of 2,4-D I bought a year or two ago, getting older, that was cheap, so. Save it. Save it. Save it? Yep. How long will that last, sir? 20 years, 50 years. I mean, a really, really, really long time. Yeah. No rush in using it, but yeah, just because you have something, I wouldn't say, well, I got to use this. You don't have to. Save it for something else. Save it for fall or, you know, some other situation, Mm -hmm. but. 2,4-D is too hard on corn, and you might want to plant that corn pretty soon after. We've had guys do that, and then they ding up their corn, and then they're upset. And it's like, this year with $6, $7 corn, you don't want to take risk. There's no point in taking that no. extra risk. How much banvil would you put down then? A about? pint. A pint. Oh, that's cheap then. Okay. Well. All right. And then, <laughs> it's, 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 not, it's not super cheap this year. That is cheap but, this year. <laughs> but anyway, go well, ahead. And then my other question was wheat. I've got to plant some spring wheat, sir. Out west? Yep. And um, I know we were talking about cutting back, like that top guy in New Zealand's only, what, at a 950,000? I can't remember. 400,000. But, but keep in mind, stand. keep in mind, Jim, there are a lot of management practices that go with right, this. So right. he's doing things right. to try to make sure he's got at least 10 or 12 viable tillers that are going to produce full heads. Mm-hmm. So, and that was an English wheat, if I recall, or yep, something weird. Yep. Yep, you can find a lot of information about it. Yeah, just just look him up. He's posting a lot of stuff on Twitter. Eric as, Watson. Yep, and his agronomist is too. They they're putting it out there, saying, "Look, here's what we're doing. 
we aren't hiding anything here. Come get us. Mm -hmm. If you can figure out a way to make more yield, we'd love to hear about it because we'll do it too. So a lot of people, Jim, here in South Dakota will plant a million and a half seeds per acre. Could you get by with a million? Could you get by with 800,000? Maybe. I mean, if it was me, I'd just do some experiments and say, all right, I'm just Mm going to try this in this uh, half of the field and this in the other half and kind of go from there. And our our regular wheats around here will still tiller out stool and stuff. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yep. Definitely. Definitely. Plenty moisture. So, okay, yep. it's kind of a, cereal grains are kind of a, 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 a little easier one to get by with a little more air, maybe. Okay. Yep. All right. Well, hey, Jim, well, thanks thank a lot for uh, for the call and uh, appreciate I, I your questions. I wish you were on WNX or something. I shouldn't say that on this station. Sorry. <laughs> but uh, it's something I could listen to you all the time on. So I do go and look and... Well, I'm just, just gonna I'm just gonna have kidding. to pod, just gonna have to podcast this, Jim. You can podcast this for free. All right, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We'll be right back. The value of your farm building is in its ability to protect what's stored inside. That's why Morton Buildings ensures that every machine, storage, and insulated workshop we build will provide superior strength and durability. As a 100% employee-owned company, we're all committed to being the industry leader with a focus on innovation, service, quality, and most importantly, customer satisfaction. To get started on your next project, please visit mortonbuildings.com. Your schedule can change by the minute, making it hard to stay on top of the latest agronomy information. But at Ag PhD, we have some good news for you. If you miss an episode of Ag PhD TV or radio, you can catch up at agphd.com. With years of valuable content and the latest episodes available to stream for free, you can continue building your agronomic knowledge on any schedule. While you're there, don't forget to check for upcoming Ag PhD events and workshops. Watch, listen, and learn at agphd.com. What's new from New Farm? Leopard Herbicide brings you exceptional planting flexibility for soybeans, field corn, and cotton. Leopard provides your spray plans with a fall or early spring option to boost resistance management. And did we mention it's a highly compatible tank mix partner due to its ultra-low use rate? Ask your dealer for Leopard Herbicide. Available for fall. The first name and last word in weed control in heavier, higher organic soil types is Authority Edge Herbicide from FMC. This proprietary combination of actives outperforms the competition, delivering up to 14 more days of residual control. Visit your FMC retailer or ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. Authority Edge Herbicide may not be registered for sale or use in all states. Every week for more than two decades, Ag PhD TV has provided agronomic information to make your farm more productive and profitable. In each episode, we discuss a wide range of topics covering everything from crop fertility, promoting soil health, improving the environment, pest control, and more, all designed to help you push your farm to higher yield goals and more profitability. Be sure to catch us on Tuesdays and Saturdays on RFD TV. Check your local listings or visit agphd.com to learn more. What do you think of when you hear Palmer Amaranth or Water Hemp? If you use fierce herbicide in your soybean fields, you don't have to think about them at all. With two effective modes of action and up to eight weeks of residual control, fierce takes on even the toughest weeds like Water Hemp and Palmer Amaranth. Take control of your soybean fields and get incentives from Bayer Plus Rewards when you choose the power of fierce herbicide. Talk to your local retailer today to put fierce to work in your fields. Always read and follow label directions. <laughs> 
You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us. We're broadcasting from the Morton Studio today, talking about cover crops. And you're going to like our next guest. We got Clay Jones on from Montana State University. He's been putting out a lot of good information about cover crops. Clay, thanks for joining us today. No problem. Glad to be here. All right. So you get a lot of questions about this topic. What are what are some of the the new things, new pieces of information that are coming out on cover crops? And and what are you seeing in your research? First, I need to put our precipitation here in perspective because it's we are mainly in a 12 to 16 inch rainfall zone, so maybe similar to the western uh, Dakotas, but certainly some of the some of what we're finding would not apply, say, to the wetter areas in your listening audience. Okay. You know, we focused a lot on the effects of cover crops on soil health, and when cover crops replace fallow they're pretty much a clear winner. We have increased soil organic matter. Uh, Often we have better nitrogen availability, and sometimes we have increased biological activity. So as far as soil health goes, cover crops as a fallow replacement uh, really are a winner. That's good to hear. Yeah, there's been a lot of questions about that over the years, and I Brandon and I still scratch our heads sometimes about this whole fallow thing that, boy, wouldn't it make more sense to try something different? The big objection that I hear from growers is, well, I'm worried about moisture. How about with the when it comes to moisture, does shading out the ground with the cover crop help, or is it is it a net loser in terms of soil moisture? It's a net loser. Cover crops being a crop are really good at transpiring or using water, so we generally find that we might lose enough water that we're going to hurt our next yield somewhere between, you know, no bushels per acre up to maybe 15 bushels per acre. And that 15 is when our producers really push the cover crop, meaning maybe almost close to seed set, which we highly recommend not doing. We recommend terminating closer to say first bloom of a pea. And by doing that, we don't use nearly as much water. I was wondering about just catching snow too, because I know a lot of folks will say, "Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna use a stripper instead, so I can catch more snow out in the field, or I'm gonna cut high so I can catch more snow." Uh, is there any way to do research on that in terms of how much snow you're gonna catch in field if you got a cover crop out there versus if the field was clean? So the you know stripper headers and certainly cutting cereal uh, stubble. High. We know from research in the Dakotas and elsewhere here as well that you will collect more snow. Our cover crops, though, we're terminating them when they're green, uh, generally with spring. And so what we end up with is not very much residue close to the ground. Okay. And so my guess is, though we have not measured it, that we're not capturing uh, very much snow. A lot of times that those broadleaf crops uh, break down pretty quickly. Sometimes they get grazed, and so we don't end up with very much stubble after a cover crop. All right. I'm assuming just like everywhere else, farmers are curious about lots of different types of cover crops, and certainly if they've got some seed handy that they could use so they didn't have to have the seed expense uh, of going out and buying new seed, they're probably uh, likely to try that. What types of cover are you representing or are you uh, recommending uh, following different rotations that are common in Montana? You know, we, we strongly recommend having a, a pulse crop in there. All of our research shows the real winner, meaning 
uh, yield-wise and protein-wise in the subsequent crop is by planting pea or lentil or pea and lentil in a mix. Uh, that can really increase nitrogen availability. We've also studied uh, tap-rooted species to see if we can break up compacted layers. Uh, we've studied cereals, but really I would recommend always having at least 50% of my biomass in a legume to increase nitrogen availability. Yeah, these are some great tips and, and certainly things that you've got to consider if you're looking at putting cover crops out. And again, uh, we're talking with Clay Jones here with Montana State who who represents a 12 to 16-inch rainfall zone. So for anyone that's concerned, oh, no, uh, we're concerned about we don't get enough moisture here. Uh, Montana is one of those areas that generally doesn't get enough moisture. So believe me, that's been taken into account. Uh, Clay, where can we find more information? I know you've been putting out some bulletins lately uh, uh, about cover crops for growers. Yeah, so we just finished three extension bulletins, one on general effects of covers on soil health, one really specific to covers on soil organic matter, and then the one that might interest, you know, your producers the most is the effects of covers on water and yield and protein. Uh, we also have one that tries to summarize all three of those, a Mont guide. Those are all on my webpage. Generally, if you Google claim, C-L-A-I-N, because it's a unique name, and soil, my website will come up. And then I would just go to Extension Publications, and you should be able to find them. Outstanding. Clayton, thank you so much. We really appreciate having you on. Thanks for all the work that you're doing out there, too. No problem. Thanks for asking me. Let's head down to Nebraska. We've got Andrea Bayshan with us right now with the University of Nebraska down at Lincoln. Andrea, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. All right, so I understand you're teaching a national cover crop class. Can you talk about that with us just a little bit? I would love to tell you about it. So we did something, um, eight other colleagues and I, that was either, I'm sure as you guys know, when you try something that's new, it's either like really clever and innovative or it's really stupid and that's why no one's done it before, <laughs> right? So Somebody's got to be first. Yeah, right. We executed a class that had over 100 students across seven different institutions, seven different um, land-grant institutions, um, the University of Nebraska being one of them. And we were motivated to do this through um, putting a grant proposal together for the USDA, and we surveyed ag professionals um, about this. We had 157 ag professionals from 44 states who all agreed um, cover crops are important in undergraduate education. Um, there's no classes like it. And, you know, with the growing interest, I love that you're continuing to do more shows around cover crops. We knew there was a need to train more competent and confident, confident ag professionals in the future around cover crop management. And so um, on the survey, we asked about different topics. Um, some of the top five that people ranked that we included in the course were soil health, nutrient management, establishment, me establishment methods, timing, um, weed and pest impacts termination methods and timing, um, profitability and economics. And so, um, you know, it became clear to us as we thought through the topics, as you could imagine, that there's really a lot of um, information that's needed on, on all of those things. So we were, you know, it was pretty clear to us at that point, all those topics could have their own, um, you know, week of lectures and lab or outdoor activities, which is exactly what we try to do throughout um, the course. We've got seven. You got seven land grant universities involved yep. right now. Is the idea to continue to expand that? And if so, 
How can students at other universities or, or even uh, professors at other universities get involved in this? That's a great question. I think we we were just so glad to get something like this off the ground. Um, that was step one. <laughs> um, and we, we would like to help grow it in the future. In fact, we had students um, from all over the U.S. We did offer an online section at the University of Nebraska. We had um, students from across the country who took it and some who were um, like non-matriculated students. So there is an opportunity to do it that way. Students could um, reach out to me or other professionals. Um, you know, so they could, I guess, just start by reaching out to the team. And we don't have a formal kind of plan in place for that yet, but we would, um, we would like to grow it. You know, I do think that all the learning outcomes that we have are, you know, highly relevant to people who are considering cover crops on their farms, all those things I've already talked about. But just, again, getting people familiar with cover crop types, functions, establishment, termination. I mean, there really is, as you dig into it, um, a lot to consider. Nutrient cycling, weeds, pests, soil physical impacts, all of these things. Um, barriers to adoption. Yeah, it's just, I think, all highly relevant for producers. Um, you know, those topics are sort of a framework for what they might consider in implementing cover crops on their farms. Well, and there's so many different goals and so many things that you can achieve with different mixes and different timings and, and in different rotations that it, it's just an exciting and, and ever-changing topic here. So, Andrew, I just want to say thanks for doing this. This is fantastic to get more people good education about uh, a topic that could impact their farms as well, like cover crops. Uh, get, we're I up appreciate against, that. We're up against a break yeah. here. Andy, but we really do okay. appreciate appreciate having you on. Thank you so much. Great, thank you. You bet. We'll talk more about covers right after this. Introducing the next generation of weed control in wheat, Wide AR Match Herbicide. Uh, I'm sorry, is this a typo? I mean, there's an AR in the middle of Wide Match. Mm-hmm, that's the name. It's called Wide R Match Herbicide. Oh, my bad. From the top. <clears throat> Introducing Wide R Match from Corteva AgriScience. It's not a typo, it's an upgrade. The AR stands for RLX Active for improved control of the toughest broadleaf weeds and wheat. Talk with your retailer to learn more. Ag PhD has one mission to give you the knowledge you need to make your farm more successful. That's why every issue of the Ag PhD Insider Magazine features crop fertility and pest management tips, insights into the world's highest yielding farmers, updates and results from our infield research trials, as well as the latest agronomy information from Brian and Darren Hefty. We put it all in one place so you can make your farm more productive and profitable. Subscribe to the Ag PhD Insider at agphdinsider.com. Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe this spring with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at headsupst.com. Boost your productivity and profitability with Soil Warrior from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and your yield potential in just one strip-till pass. Now that's ROI. Contact us today at SoilWarrior.com. Improve germination in your fields with the Germinator Closing Wheel from Farm Shop MFG. Our unique spike design seals your seed within a firm vein of soil, providing maximum seed-to-soil contact and maximum germination. Order a set for your planter at farmshopmfg.com. 
Your schedule can change by the minute, making it hard to stay on top of the latest agronomy information. But at Ag PhD, we have some good news for you. If you miss an episode of Ag PhD TV or radio, you can catch up at agphd.com. With years of valuable content and the latest episodes available to stream for free, you can continue building your agronomic knowledge on any schedule. While you're there, don't forget to check for upcoming Ag PhD events and workshops. Watch, listen, and learn at agphd.com. Heat, drought, wind, hail, northern corn leaf blight, gray leaf spot. If your corn is under stress, you are too. Get Veltima fungicide, swift activity, with fast payback, an expanded application window. Makes life simple, and it's the secure choice. With powerful residual for visibly healthier corn. Swift, simple, secure. Veltima fungicide. Call your BASF rep today. Always read and follow label directions. Veltima fungicide is not registered in all states. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio. Brian, do you have any other comments here before we dive back into the mailbag? I do. So with cover crops, I would just say when you read in a lot of farm magazines or talk to certain people out there, they're going to make you believe, they may make you believe that cover crops are the end-all, be-all. It's the savior, and it's really going to help you and everything else. I'm not saying they can't. I'm just saying make sure you look at all sides of things and weigh everything into this before you go starting to do something with cover crops. So just for example, I I will often tell people, look, if you've got time to raise a cover crop later in the year, then I'm just curious, why are you not raising a full season crop? So if you're raising corn or soybeans in the northern part of the United States, I'm just wondering, I mean, if your corn's finishing in early September, and it's, let's say, 95-day corn, why aren't you raising 110-day corn and it finishes in October? You can do whatever you want. You can farm however you want. I don't care. I'm just asking because a lot of times the later maturing stuff actually can yield a little bit more. But anyway, uh, beyond that, with cover crops, you have to keep in mind that there is a cost to the cover crop. So it does cost some money to buy the seed, cost some money to put the seed in the ground, and there certainly can be some long-term benefits. In fact, even on our website at agphd.com under the resources tab, we've got a, a chart on cover crops and a lot of the different benefits and which cover crops would fit well based on whatever you're looking for, whether it's, hey, I want to build my soil's organic matter, or I'm looking to add more nitrogen to my soil, or whatever it is. So lots of different benefits. You just have to kind of match up the cover crop based on whatever you are looking for. But again, I, I just I'm I'm I said this earlier in the show, I'm just concerned when it's in a dry area, if you don't terminate that early enough, and then you get a drought summer that you could have some real problems. So just be careful what you're doing if you're in a dry area. All right, let's get back to the mailbag. Yeah, there's certainly a lot of different considerations with that, depending on where you're at, what kind of climate conditions you have, your length of growing season so much uh, that, yeah, you just can't possibly cover it all in in one hour. But uh, there is a lot of good research out there, and we had uh, a number of folks on today that that have some of that research. So check that out. Uh, do, Do a little trial work on your own farm, too, before you... Before you get going too far in one direction. All right, uh, I get this in from David, and he said, I'm in western Kentucky on the Ohio and Green Rivers, and we've, we're getting a problem with charcoal rot in our soybeans. Uh, some areas better, some areas worse. Uh, probably uh, 
uh, took off some major yield this last year, 40 to 50% yield in, in areas. That's, that's a big deal. Uh, so said, so just wondering what can I do about this? Uh, so let's talk about charcoal rot just a little bit. And this is something we've been uh, aware of for a number of years now. And we get, get more charcoal rot showing up when we get hot and when we get dry. Now it doesn't always have to be hot and dry, but we have more of it showing up oftentimes when it's hot and dry. We have more of it showing up when our plants are under extreme stress. So we see an early infection in the plants. And then oftentimes it's mid to even later in the season when we really see the charcoal rot taking over. So once we get into stressful times and when you think about stress in soybeans, to me, it really starts with flowering in many cases that you've got a plant now that's going into reproduction and there's just a lot of stress on that plant. So anything you can do to reduce stress throughout the season and keep that plant in, in a better um moisture situation and, and just better plant health is going to be a good thing. So with charcoal wrap that can survive in residue, it's been proven to survive more than two years. So a lot of farmers that I talk to say, well, I'm going to rotate to corn and then I won't be back here in beans for two years. Well, guess what? Charcoal rot can hang around that long. It can also survive on a lot of different weed species. It can survive on corn. It can survive on other crops like sunflowers, alfalfa, watermelon, strawberries, tomatoes, uh, many more. So there's a huge list of crops that it can survive on. So you have to do a great job on weed control and you've got to rotate away from beans for a while if you've got a major problem. But in the meantime, if you say, well, that's not going to happen. I just got it in some areas. What can I do? Many farmers have found reducing tillage and placing nutrients right near that soybean, like with strip till, have been good situations where the plant is going to have maximum moisture and have good nutrient availability. Doing some good soil testing and make sure, making sure you're feeding that crop correctly. That is going to reduce how much water that plant has to take in. That's a big deal because when we get stressed for moisture, we see more charcoal rot. Now, when you're picking varieties, chances are your seed company is not going to have a great handle on charcoal rot tolerance. The breeding companies are starting to get better ratings. I'm starting to see some now from some breeders on some varieties, but not all. So do ask your, your seed dealer, hey, what do you know about charcoal rot? And do you see any ratings coming from the breeding companies or, or the seed company that you're representing? Because if you can get a variety that's a little more tolerant, that can help you too. Now, another question that David had is, what would you think about inferro fungicides? I don't know that they're labeled for charcoal rot, but anything that we can do to try to reduce disease pressure and improve plant health, that's going to be a good thing. So controlling bugs and diseases on the early side is going to be really important. So disease, you've got to plan ahead. So I would not object at all to an infra fungicide. Do some trials, leave some strips on your field, see if that makes a difference for you. And then foliar fungicides have been proven to cool that crop canopy. Uh, natural products like heat shield have been proven to cool that canopy. So those are things that can help that plant uh, do a better job staying cool and surviving through through those droughty situations. But yeah, charcoal rot is a tough one. And once it, once it gets going with an early infection, all it needs is a little stress and it can blow up in your fields. So let's just talk about just general agronomy and overall plant health. We often say, all right, if I was buying a new piece of ground, the first thing I'm going to do is some dirt work if I have to get that done. The second money I'm spending is on tile if I need to fix that. And you might say, well, wait, how's tile going to help me with charcoal rot? Because 
I, I mean, this is a, a, a drought problem. Well, what happens is if you have a high water table in the spring and then you don't get rain after that, your roots don't grow deep. You want your roots growing deep right away. You don't want them dying because you had a high water table for even if it's a week or two in the spring. You have roots dying, dying. So you want roots as deep as possible early, so tile. And then the third thing that we say when you buy new ground, all right, it's in order. Dirt work, first money. Tile, second money. Fertility, third money. And so often, Darren and I get these soil tests in. I mean, every day we're getting soil tests. Darren just handed me some more than I Well, this is from David. This is from David right here with these tests. Fantastic. Look at at potassium levels. That's one that jumped out at me. Well, what I was going to bring up was copper. We often tie copper to disease tolerance. Well, guess what? There isn't even a copper test on here. Oh, I guess he does have a couple now. I, I, I mean... Let's see, three. He has three copper tests and all of the things, and they're all low, low. Well, let me. Do, I'm just not going to say low. I'm going to say super deficient, super deficient, and super deficient. Okay, so what's that tell you right there? Could copper shortage be causing some of the problem? It absolutely could. And to Darren's point, could potassium shortage be causing some of the problem? It absolutely could. He's got 1% or 2% base saturation K in a bunch of spots. Get the potassium up. Get the copper up. And then that's going to help you not just with charcoal rub but literally with everything else and you're going to go wow this is uh this is good this is fun sure fertilizer's high right now but so are commodity prices well if you lose half your yield to charcoal rot you're (laughs) going to forget about you're going to forget about how much money you had to spend on fertilizer to try to uh, have a healthy crop out there that's how i feel about sclerotinia white mold I, i mean the first time when we lost all our yield on a few acres i'm not saying on lots but we were going along and the combines are getting 90 and then we go to zero when you go from 90 to zero, that's pretty eye-opening. And especially this year, 90 bushel beans would be way over $1,000 an acre. $1,000 an acre risk. So some of these things you got to take seriously. And sure, it's not across the whole field, but so what? Even $1,000 an acre on 5% of my acres or 2% of my acres, it's still a lot of total money. So things have changed from... 20, 30, 40 years ago where we used to manage whole fields as one. Now we can manage different areas of fields differently. You can plant different varieties there. You can fertilize separately. You can treat it with insecticide or fungicide or whatever and and spot spray things or spot treat the ground. I mean, there are lots of ways to handle things, but you have to get soil fertility up if you want a great crop. And that's, I guess, what I wanted to add to what Darren had about chocolate charcoal rot. Hey, David, thank you so much. Really appreciate the the question. And, and really just bringing up this charcoal rot topic, we don't get that many questions on charcoal rot, and it's a lot bigger problem than that. It certainly deserves more attention. Thanks for listening to our program today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.